Welcome to the West Point Church Podcast. Here you can find past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates as soon as those sermons are posted. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a good week. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. That is our new series, Rethink Love. And I love that passage um, from the book of Psalms, just talking about how even though we are so small and insignificant in the midst of everything that God has created, that he loved us and he elevated us to a place of honor. How incredible is that? I want to talk about... uh, how much God loves us. And, and we're, we're calling this series Rethink Love. And the reason that this is so important that we start thinking about it this way is because as believers, we pretty much know and, and understand the fact that God loves us, right? I mean, that's like just basic 101. Like that's the first thing you learn in Sunday school. Like when you're five years old, you learn, okay, God loves you. But I don't know that we necessarily grasp the significance of what that actually means. And maybe it's as important to know why he loves us as it is to know that he loves us. And I'll explain a little bit more about what that means as we get into that this morning. Um, How many of you remember playing ball or, or playground games back in school when you were in elementary school maybe? And there were always two captains and they would pick teams. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Um, for us, when I was growing up, I went to a, a little Christian school, and we would play parking lot football or basketball, or we go to the, the field across the street and play softball. And um, we do that every, every day at, at recess. And um, we would cram our lunch down our faces as fast as we possibly could so that we could get out uh, to the parking lot to play some football. And if, if we were playing football, there were two guys who would play quarterback for the two teams, and they would normally be the captains, and they would pick their teams, and, and I would often be one of them. And I always wanted um, a big wide receiver that I could throw the ball to, that, I, that he would jump up and catch that ball. And then, you know, I always wanted a fast guy, too, because you always want that, that guy that can, can get open and, and, and do something after he catches the ball. And um, then there were always a few players that couldn't catch the ball, that were slow, that couldn't jump that high, that weren't athletic, and it would always come down to the end, and they would be the ones left yet to be chosen on a team, and it would, and it would always be like, ah, oh, all right, I got Jimmy, I guess, right? Um, and I know that sounds terrible, but that was the way things worked on a junior high playground. We weren't picking players based on how they would feel about themselves when they went to bed that night, right? We were picking players because we wanted to win. And sometimes I think that's how we view how God thinks about us, right? His idea of how valuable we are is based on what we have to offer him. We're trying, to, we're trying to win, and, and we think that God needs the most talented or the most skilled individuals for him to, to win the battle that he's fighting. 
Maybe you've asked yourself even the question, what do I have to offer God? Well, I'm so grateful and thankful today that that is not how Jesus calls us. Maybe you were that kid that was picked last on the playground, and maybe you felt that need to prove yourself your entire life. Maybe you're even sitting in this very room wondering, what do I have to offer Jesus? What is my purpose? Why would he even want me to be part of his team? We put so much significance on our giftings and our skills that sometimes we're guilty of determining our own self-worth based on what we have to offer God. And, and I want us to, to shift from that mindset because as we're about to see in God's word, that is not how God chooses us. That's not how he picks us. Uh, because if we're holding ourselves to that standard, we will never be enough. Scotty Smalls moved to this new neighborhood. His parents got divorced. That's his new stepdad. And so he's, he's trying to learn how to play baseball so that, that he can fit in with his friends. And, and, you know, I think it's a great picture of sometimes how we think it works with God, right? God's like, okay, here's how you live as a Christian. Here's what you need to do. And we keep messing it up. And then there's God just looking at us like, oh, man, not again, Paul, right? Like checking his watch, like I don't have time for this, but I'm God and I have to love him, right? We see our relationship with God through that lens, if I leave one thing with you today, I want you to understand that Jesus wants you for you, not what you have to offer him. <laughs> I want you to understand that, that he reaches out to us and takes us to where he is. And how he chooses us is just a beautiful picture of his love for us. I want to give you an example from the Word of God this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. And we're going to talk about how Jesus called some of his first disciples and how he chose them. And uh, Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there are Bibles in the seat pockets in front of you. You can grab one of those. You can take it. Uh, we'd love for you to have it. It's our gift to you this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11 will be on the screen as well. It says, But one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or it's also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and just so you know, Simon, this guy that's referred to in this story as Simon, Jesus eventually changes his name to Peter. So that's who we're talking about here. You've probably heard of Peter before. But this was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. All right, now, I just want us to, to just understand what's going on here. Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee. People are following him around. He's going to teach to them. And so he gets in this guy's boat, and he teaches from the boat 
And then he finishes teaching and he says, okay, Peter, we're going to go fishing. So get a little bit deeper and then let your nets down for the catch. Now, how many know that the middle of the day is not the best time to go fishing? I do not fish, okay? I haven't been fishing in many years. But even I know that. Like, that is not a great time to go fishing. And these guys had been out all night long working. And he said, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So he'd heard this guy teach, and he said, there's something different about what he's teaching. Let's give it a shot. I mean, he's telling us to do this. It's not going to work, but we'll try it. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish, right? When Simon Peter saw this, this was his response. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. For from now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. I mean, this was their livelihood, right? This, this would be like a semi-truck driver, like taking his semi, parking it, throw the keys in the, in the driver's seat and walking away. Like they were leaving everything behind to follow this guy because he had so significantly impacted their life. Now, we can talk about a lot of different things with this passage, and there are so many different things in here to pull out, but what I really want us to understand as we look at what we just read this morning is how Jesus chose the men that he chose and how he called them and the unique way that he did it in order to to speak to them. And, And I want us to get a couple of things this morning. First of all, that Jesus demonstrates his love for us by the way he calls us, right? The way that he speaks to us. Um, Jesus knows what we need to understand what we need to know. He spoke to, to Peter and to James and John in terms that they would understand. He said, what you do with fish, now you can come do that with me. I want you to do that for men. God knows the language you speak, and he lovingly chooses to speak to us in the way that we'll understand. We are just starting to kind of begin to understand uh, about all the different learning styles that people have, right? That's, that's like a big thing right now in education. Learning styles are really important because They've discovered that people learn in different ways. And and some people, to sit in a lecture for an hour, you might as well um, just be sitting in a blank room with with nothing going on because it's not connecting with them. They don't learn well that way. And God has known that about us. He designed you that way. And he speaks to us in the way that we learn, that we grow, that we understand. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. Um, 
Abraham, I believe, was a, a kinesthetic learner because he spoke, he was shown God's plan through an experience. When, when God laid out the covenant that he had with Abraham, he gave him this experiential treatment and, and um, a sign called circumcision. Now, if that um, didn't like wake him up and, and wasn't a clear communication, I don't know what is, right? Uh, he also spoke to Moses using a supernatural sign, right? He connected with Moses that way. He also spoke to Abraham and given him a picture of the stars in the heavens and said that, that, his, um, that ultimately his descendants would be like the stars in the sky. It was a visual illustration. He spoke to Elijah using a still, small voice, right? And he even spoke to David as he read and wrote the Psalms. All these different learning styles, kinesthetic, visual, auditory, reader, writer, those are all um, different ways that, that we learn. And God used all of those different ways throughout Scripture. If you're a visual person this morning, God wants to speak to you, and he'll probably do it in the way that you best understand communication. So if that's you today, maybe he gives you a picture, right? And if you're an auditory learner and, and you learn from, from hearing words, then God will probably give you words. If you're a, a kinesthetic learner, you might learn through an experience. And if you're a reader-writer, maybe through journaling. The point is that God wants to speak to you. He wants to communicate with you. He loves you so much that he knows the way that you best learn, and he wants to speak to you in that way. So not only does Jesus demonstrate his love for us by the way that he communicates with us, but he also demonstrates his love by who he calls. In fact, throughout history, God has been using messy people. Like over and over and over and over again. Pretty much every person in Scripture, their failures are listed along with their accomplishments. Jesus called Peter knowing about his fishing failures the night before and knowing that at times he would open his big dumb mouth. I mean, if you know anything about Peter, he, he shot off his mouth way more often than he should. He said things that he shouldn't have said. In fact, one time he was so impulsive, one time he cut off a guy's ear. <laughs> I mean, even uh, down to the time that he denied Christ. Jesus knew about all of that. He knew about all of that before he called him and chose him. Jesus would call John even despite his ego and Thomas his unbelief. And even Judas, knowing that he would betray him, he was still called and he was still chosen by Jesus. So what's your excuse? Why do you believe that you're so awful that God couldn't possibly use or choose you? God has poured out his love to thousands of people over the course 
of history. And he wants to do it in your life as well. He wants to use you. He, he's calling out to you. He wants to show you his love. And he wants to demonstrate that love for you. So Jesus demonstrates his love by the way that he calls us. Demonstrates his love by who he calls. The last thing I want to share is that he demonstrates his love for us by inviting us to participate with him. Jesus chose Peter to fish for men even though he wasn't very successful fishing the night before. When Peter um, saw what Jesus did, when he cast the nets over and they caught all that fish and they got him into shore, what was Peter's response? He fell down on his knees and, and said, I'm a sinful man, get away from me. Right? He understood where he was at in relation to Jesus. And was Peter wrong in saying that? No. In reality, he was, he was dead on. Right? He is a sinful man. He was a failure in many ways, just like you and I were before we encountered Christ. But because of what he'd done for us, Jesus, in the same way that, that he doesn't leave us where we're at, he didn't leave Peter where he was at either. He didn't leave him in his sinfulness and in his shame. He picked him up and he invited him to come and participate with him. And what Peter didn't even realize is that by recognizing his own failure and by humbling himself and putting himself in the correct position, he ultimately opened the door to be used by God. Jesus didn't leave him there. In fact, his humility opened the door for Jesus to elevate him. Peter's future wouldn't be defined by his past failures. It wouldn't be defined by his sinful nature. It wouldn't be even defined by his mistakes. Jesus showed Peter how to fish and then invited him to come with him. It was never about what Peter had to offer. He didn't choose Peter to go fishing for men because he was a great fisherman. He chose Peter for Peter. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a great picture of what God does for us? He doesn't want you on his team because of the unique skills and abilities that you bring to the table. In fact, can I tell you something? He's got plenty of people that can do what you can do. Right? It's not about what you have to offer God. It's that he wants you for you. Let me read this passage of scripture because I think this sums it up just perfectly. It's Ephesians 1, 3-5. And I just want you to just close your eyes and, and just receive this this morning. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And even as he chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Isn't that beautiful? 
Isn't that an incredible truth? That God chose us according to the purpose of his will. I don't want us to miss that right there. The reason that he chose us is because he wanted to. And ask the worship team to come up as, as we close this morning. And as they come, I want to do something this morning. I'm going to just share just a little snippet about each of the disciples. Some of them we know a lot about. Some of them, like, like Peter, uh, we heard, we've heard a lot about them. And, and we've heard a lot of their stories. And, and John and some of the other ones, we barely know anything about at all. But what I want you to do this morning is, as you're hearing about these people, maybe pick one that you can identify with. Pick one that you're like, ah, oh, that kind of sounds like me. So as we talked about Peter already, he was the loudmouth, he was impulsive, he was emotional, he denied Christ, but he was ultimately the leader of the early church movement, one of the greatest evangelists in history, and when he, it came time for him to face his death, they were going to crucify him. But he said, no, I'm not worthy of being crucified like Christ. And he insisted that he be crucified upside down. Andrew, Peter's little brother, always in his shadow. He was the one that was following John the Baptist and ultimately introduced Peter to Jesus. And despite being maybe overlooked in some ways, he was a significant part of the early church and what they accomplished. James, he was one of the sons of thunder, so he was probably obnoxious, probably had a temper, but he was also part of the inner circle that Jesus had with Peter and James and John and was there for some significant moments with Christ. He was also the very first to be martyred for his faith in about 44 AD. John was um, the self-titled disciple who Jesus loved. So he probably had a little bit of an ego. That's probably why when he said, when he was telling the resurrection story, he said, Peter and John ran to the tomb. John ran faster and got there first and waited outside while Peter, the slow one, got there and burst inside. He was the only disciple that wasn't martyred for his faith. And it wasn't for lack of trying. Church history tells us that he tried to kill him and they couldn't. So instead of executing him, they banished him to an island. That's where he gave us the book of Revelation. Philip was a bit of a wallflower. He was one of the first followers, and he also called his buddy Nathaniel. We don't know a lot about him. Matthew was a tax collector. And not only a tax collector, he was a dishonest tax collector. He was hated by the Jews, but he gave everything up from his old life when Jesus called him. And most believe that he wrote the book that, that we refer to as Matthew. Thomas was famous for doubting the resurrection, needing to see the hands and the side of Jesus to really believe. He was a little bit prone to extremes. 
but he was used in an incredible way planting churches all around Asia Minor. James the Less, or the other James, his most distinguishing characteristic is his anonymity, content to be in the background. Maybe that's one of you here today. Simon the Zealot. This is the guy who spent way too much time posting and reposting political stuff on Facebook. Other than his political affiliation and extremism that we kind of infer from his title, we don't know really much about, much about him, but ultimately he was a disciple first and an activist second. He left that life behind when he chose to follow Jesus instead. Thaddeus from church history, we know a little bit about him. He was a shy and tender-hearted and gentle man, but bold enough that he was ultimately martyred for his faith. And finally, Judas. Judas betrayed Christ, but he was loved and chosen by Jesus in spite of his failures. And the Bible tells us that Judas hanged himself, that ultimately he allowed his personal shame and his condemnation to overshadow the truth of what Jesus believed about him. You know, the most tragic part about Judas' story is not that he betrayed Jesus for money. The most tragic part about Judas' story is that he didn't understand that Jesus' love and grace was enough for him even in spite of those mistakes. And if Judas' story had a different ending, how incredible of a testimony could that be? Because the Jesus that I know was waiting there to redeem him, just like he redeemed Peter, just like he redeemed even the soldiers who crucified him, the, rot, the thieves who were, were murdered on either side, Jesus offered his grace to that thief who went, repented. And if Judas would have repented, Jesus would have offered that same grace and that same forgiveness for him. So don't allow your life to be a tragedy because you fail to recognize how great and how incredible and how amazing the love of Jesus Christ is. Because it's there for you, but ultimately, you have to receive it.